Hi, this is Jay, and I just want to let you know that I had decided to take an impromptu short break from recording new episodes of Potstir Podcast. There's a lot going on in this country, and as I've discussed in previous episodes, much of it is trending in a troubling way. And sometimes when that happens, it's helpful to disconnect and focus on mental health and self-care. We all should make sure that at this time, to keep on going, to have the energy to move forward, when it does become too much, that we feel empowered to step away to take care of ourselves. That said, new episodes will be back in August. And in the meantime, check out this bonus episode of Potstirer Podcast. It's called Harder Core Urban Legends. And it was originally released on Patreon in November 2019. It's a continuation of the Urban Legends regular episode from the same year. It's a Halloween-themed episode, a bit different than what we normally do, but it's something to take our minds off of what's going on right now, just for a little bit. So check out this episode right now. Enjoy! Like a lot of teenagers, I got my first job at 16 when I was hired at McDonald's. It was about a 15-20 minute drive away from me in an east side suburb of Detroit. During the week, I'd work the evening shift and on weekends I'd be on the early shift 6am to 2pm. I worked primarily as a cashier for both the lobby or inside and the drive through It was pretty awful. Coming home after every shift coated with grease, customers getting hostile, people get evil when it comes to your food. At least one time I just about went over the counter on a very rude and insulting customer and other co-workers had to hold me back and at that point I didn't care if I lost my job. Surprisingly I didn't. If you know anything about me, you'll know that it takes a lot for me to get that upset. Even back then, as a teenage girl, there was a little unreported sexual harassment here and there. And some of the managers are better than others. Most weren't too bad, but there were a couple of managers that I didn't care for. One always had a consistent attitude for seemingly no reason, while another would write me up for the shared drawer being short. The same amount, $4. I know how to count! And I never had a problem like that with any other manager or at any other job after that one. That manager was actually the reason I decided to quit. Better to quit than to be fired. My parents didn't like that I was quitting and said that I was on my own for spending money if I quit. Fortunately, this was during the Clinton economy of the 1990s, so it was easy to find another job. Within a week, I was working at a slightly higher paying job in retail within walking distance of home with better customers, better co-workers, and better managers. But there were perks of working at McDonald's. We got free pop, and we did get discounted meals while working. At the time, I was vegetarian. A bad vegetarian. I ate a lot of crap, but I was a vegetarian nevertheless. So when I was working weekends on lunch, I would order a Big Mac, minus the meat, as a supersized combo. This was back when supersized was still a thing. And I would eat my fries with sweet and sour sauce. 
don't knock it unless you try it. And this was great until after working there a while, I noticed just how infested the place was with cockroaches. I was so done with the food when one day I was cleaning the fry hopper and there were roaches in the fry hopper. So for the rest of my seven month tenure at the Golden Arches, I stayed away from the fries and after working there, I avoided eating at McDonald's for years. Even now, I eat there pretty sparingly and there's one just on the street from me. As for the Mickey D's I worked at decades ago, it was torn down, I believe a few years after I left that job and it was rebuilt on the same plot of land. Given that I still wouldn't go to that one, unsanitary franchise locations in Macomb County, Michigan notwithstanding, how much do we really have to worry about eating McDonald's food or other foods? And what do those concerns say about how we see our food production and supply? I am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. Welcome to Potstirer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. In episode 64 of the regular show, I discussed urban legends, and the ones chosen were decided on by you, the listeners. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, check it out. In this month's Patreon bonus episode, I want to get into a couple more interesting legends. Urban legends, in a nutshell, are stories shared that are often strange or macabre, set in relatively modern times, purported to be true, and involving ordinary people, often connected to the storyteller either directly or indirectly. These are stories that often start with, a friend of a friend told me this, and that familiarity gives the story an air of authenticity. These stories are often inaccurate or exaggerated or even outright false, but are sometimes true. And these myths often serve as a way to reinforce the speaker's beliefs, attitudes, or sense of morality, or make sense of a world they're feeling less and less comfortable with. I talked a little bit about it in that episode, but what I enjoy most about urban legends is how they often speak to people's deep-seated fears and prejudices, and are a lot of times an indicator of who or what they mistrust. Now, there's a huge subset of urban legends surrounding fast food and other restaurant chains. Rats at KFC, Taco Bell meat not being real meat, Wendy's nuggets being made of rooster heads. Then there's the monster of all fast food chains, McDonald's. A number of urban legends surrounding McDonald's involves the content of their food. For example, David Mickelson, founder of the Urban Legends Repository and fact-checking website Snopes, gave this example, which was from an email circulating around 1999. Quote, A few weeks ago, I was watching Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher on TV, and one of the guests made a remark in a quite serious voice that the billion-dollar fast food chain McDonald's is the largest purchaser of cow eyeballs. Now I've heard about Burger King using camel meat and stuff, 
But this one was new to me. And the fact that McDonald's doesn't have an email address to contact them, nor a toll-free number, doesn't give me much reassurance on the matter. End quote. Here's another rumor. And this time, instead of cow eyeballs, it's worms and a number of other contaminants. Quote, McDonald's uses worm meat fillers, but can legally call it 100% beef. Large companies have been the subject of rumors that they substitute unusual or unethical substances in their products, usually to decrease costs. McDonald's is not immune to such claims. McDonald's has been accused of using everything from worms to cow eyeballs in its burgers. Dating far back to at least 1978, there have been rumors that McDonald's restaurants use earthworms in their hamburgers. The fact that McDonald's uses cow eyeballs and worm fillers does not stop them from legally using the claim that they've served 100% beef. McDonald's has assured its consumers that its product contains 100% beef. They're allowed to do this because McDonald's buys their beef from a company called 100% Beef Company, making it possible for McDonald's to call beef byproducts and soy products 100% beef. McDonald's then ships the beef to their grinding facility in Oak Brook, Illinois, where they then take the ground worm filler and add it to their 100% beef patties. McDonald's serves billions of people around the world every year. This allows them to produce a higher profit margin by increasing the amount of patties that can be made by increasing their product load with the worm filler. The worm filler is ground and packaged in a facility next to McDonald's corporate headquarters in Oakbrook, Illinois. The employees must sign a confidentiality waiver to never discuss the ingredients of the McDonald's food products or face termination and legal repercussions. However, many employees have stepped up over the years with the truth and have created a huge controversy over the quality of food that the company produces. McDonald's has also been accused of using mutant laboratory meat and pig fat for their milkshakes and ice cream. Considering that one quarter of Americans eat McDonald's every single day, although nutritionists recommend you do so only once a month, they are doing so unaware of the products they are putting into their body. If everybody truly knew what they were consuming, they definitely would not be eating this." End quote. As I mentioned in the opening, I used to work at McDonald's. It's pretty much undisputed that most of the food served there or at the majority of fast food places is unhealthy and depending on the location can also be made in pretty gross conditions. But anxiety over food production has been a constant staple in U.S. society for decades, even longer. Throughout the 1800s, more and more Americans began giving up rural life for working in coal and mineral mines and in factories in cities. This picked up especially during the 1870s and throughout the late 1800s and early 1900s up until the First World War in what researchers called the Technological Revolution or the Second Industrial Revolution. Whether migrants came from the rural parts of the United States or came from countries such as Ireland, Italy, or others in Europe, city life in the United States meant being further and further away from their own food production. Even if you got meat from a local butcher, your bread from a baker, or your fruits and vegetables from a vendor, you weren't involved in that food's production anymore, you didn't know who was, 
which was different than living out on a farm. So that societal change, where we were distanced from food production, led to some anxiety. We weren't in control. Some strangers were, especially companies with little oversight or accountability. In 1906, journalist Upton Sinclair wrote the expose, The Jungle. This book was about the awful conditions in the U.S. meatpacking industry. The intent of the book, according to Sinclair, was to focus on the harsh conditions of the workers, who were mainly Eastern European immigrants, and the inhumane treatment of animals used for food. He was a socialist and had written excerpts of what became the book in the socialist magazine Appeal to Reason a year prior to The Jungle's publication. But of course, once the book was released, much of the public honed in on excerpts of the book that affected themselves the most. The unsanitary conditions of the meatpacking plants and the disgusting condition of the slaughtered meat, leading to unsanitary contaminated food that ended up on their dinner plates. Sinclair once mused, quote, I aimed at the public's heart and by accident, I hit it in the stomach, end quote. While the jungle didn't sway the American public towards embracing socialism quite like Sinclair hoped, public pressure generated from it led to new government regulations with the aim of making the food we eat safer. The Pure Food and Drug Act, which led to the creation of the agency that later became the Food and Drug Administration, as well as the Meat Inspection Act, were both signed into law in 1906. So there has been a history of deep-seated mistrust by the American public over corporations that prepare food. And as food companies have become larger with a much wider footprint, that has given rise to urban legends that tell us that we're not eating what we think they're eating. So are these legends regarding McDonald's food true? Probably not. Many of the alternative items that McDonald's food is rumored to be made with, such as cow eyeballs and worms, are in demand for other uses. So these are economically impractical to be used as filler for burgers. McDonald's claims their burgers are made with 100% beef. While people might be skeptical of this claim, one thing to keep in mind is that beef doesn't have to be a great quality to be fully beef. So it's definitely not of the same quality you would get at a fine dining spot or even a fast casual restaurant. McDonald's has enough locations to post their nutritional information online. While there is some variation between what is listed and what you actually get, since not everything is measured out exactly when it's cooked, you still can get an idea of what's in the food. And while there doesn't appear to be, say, a bunch of fillers in the burgers, there is a ton of sodium, saturated fat, and other ingredients that may not necessarily be healthy for us. In recent years, the tide has shifted somewhat from worries over pus filled boils in New York Strip to concerns about preservatives and chemicals in food, environmental sustainability, as well as sugar and fat content. Movies such as Super Size Me, Fathead, and Food Inc. have delved into the different ways in which modern food production is problematic for public health, the environment, and animal welfare. The internet and social media has also provided society with more information, though of course it varies in accuracy. Due to these concerns, 
Many Americans have been turning to diets they believe are healthier, environmentally friendly, or ethical in terms of animal treatment. Clean eating, low-fat, low-carb, paleo, keto, whole 30, vegetarianism, veganism. All of these, and probably more, have been ways for people to try to gain more control over what they put in their mouths. And with these different dietary lifestyles, corporations have sought to cater to them. For example, there is a decent-sized market for vegetarian and vegan foods that operate as meat replacements. While not all vegetarians and vegans eat replacement meat products, some do, these products can be helpful for some as they transition to these lifestyles and also to provide them with easy options if they eat out at restaurants with omnivore friends. They don't necessarily just have to order a salad all the time. A couple of popular meat replacement options these days are the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger. Both of these are next-generation meat replacement products, a step up from the veggie burgers and Morningstar fare, though I confess I do love Morningstar bacon. Beyond Meat is the company behind the Beyond Burger, who made this meat substitute available starting in 2014. The company was backed by funds from Bill Gates, the Humane Society, Tyson Foods, and others. The Beyond Burger has become popular, is available at some restaurants and at grocery stores, and is made to behave and look close to real ground beef, all the way to pink insides and simulated bleeding made from beet juice. The company states that their meat replacement product is certified vegan by the Vegan Action Foundation. The Impossible Burger is similar to the Beyond Burger as it's made to closely simulate real beef. This product is made by Impossible Foods Incorporated and hit the market starting in 2016. The Impossible Burger is made with heme, a protein that makes meat red and plays a major role in how meat behaves. But unlike with real meat, the Impossible Burger is made from heme developed from non-animal sources. The Impossible Burger was sold exclusively through restaurants initially, and that's still the only way you can get it if you don't live in or near Los Angeles or in the Northeast. In those areas, it's available at Gelson's in the Los Angeles area, and in the Northeast, it's sold at Wegmans and at two Fairways stores located in Manhattan. The Impossible Burger is also vegan, but the company admits that animal testing was involved in the development of the plant-based heme. It is also certified halal and kosher, important for people following strict Muslim or Jewish diets. But even with these meal replacements, there are concerns. Most notably, Frank Mitlerner, animal science professor at University of California, Davis, wrote a tweet in June about these two replacement meat products that worried a lot of consumers, especially those who saw it on Twitter. He posted three screenshot lists of ingredients and said this, quote, Trivia quiz. Following are the ingredients of three food feed items. Two of them are fake burgers, namely at Impossible Foods Burger and at Beyond Meat Burger, respectively. And a third is premium dog food. Can you pick the latter? End quote. In these photos, he highlights ingredients from these three lists, one from the Beyond Burger, one from the Impossible Burger, and one from a bag of premium dry dog food. 
and he then makes the argument that these two meat substitutes are, quote, indistinguishable from dog food, end quote. This is one of the few urban legends where we can pinpoint the exact origin with accuracy. For context, Mint Lerner has been a vocal critic of these emergent meat substitutes, as well as veganism in general. He has said that it's not that he's necessarily against people having the freedom to eat what they want, but argues that the marketing of meat replacements are harming farmers, and he's opposed to genetically modified organisms or GMOs, and highly processed foods. He has also argued that veganism's effect on greenhouse gas emissions is overstated, and this benefit from a vegan lifestyle isn't worth any dietary deficiencies that might come from the removal of meat products from one's diet. Mintlerner has stated that he's met Patrick Brown, the founder of Impossible Foods, and claimed that Brown eats dog food. I haven't been able to verify this, though. Mintlerner has also spoken in front of Congress to defend the agricultural industry. I'm not providing Mintlerner's background in order to either discredit him or say he's more credible than other experts who may have divergent views on the topic. To note that Mintlerner has been vocal in this space is not an ad hominem attack, it's simply to give some context for his views, and also why what he said online spread so rapidly and was believed by so many people, because it came from a professor and someone who has been extremely vocal in the food production space. I don't have a horse in the race personally, I'm not a vegan, but as someone who has been a vegetarian in the past and who currently eats keto, which has its own defenders and detractors, I kind of get that how people eat and consume, especially when it's restrictive, can be controversial. I'm not a food science expert, so please keep that in mind. With all that being said, is Frank Mitlerner correct? When you're sinking your teeth into one of the most popular meatless burgers out today, are you in fact eating a substance indistinguishable from dog food? No, not really. There are commonalities to be sure, but we need to look into this one a little bit closer. So let's go back to the professor's tweet. He posts three ingredient lists. We have the Beyond Burger, the Impossible Burger, and dog food. But how close are the two meat substitute burger brands to the dog food? Beyond Burger has 18 ingredients. It shares two of them with the dog food meat learner used in its comparison, including pea protein. We're going to get back to that one in a moment. The Impossible Burger has 20 ingredients, half of which it shares with the dog food. The dog food in the comparison has 28 ingredients. The dog food has 11 ingredients in common with either of the two meat replacements. The only ingredient all three share is, get this, salt. Now, here you might be wondering about the premium dog food. Obviously, it's not Alpo. But it's also not a premium dog food most of us who have dogs might have some familiarity with, like Blue Buffalo or Purina One. It's a specific brand. Walkabout Canine Exotics Super Premium Vegan Dog Food. It's so super premium, I couldn't even find it on Amazon. I could only find it on a pet supplies website for about $55 plus shipping. Outside of the vegan space and outside of pet owners whose dogs may require a highly specialized diet, 
How many of us would have a need or desire for this type of dog food? Dogs are omnivores, but require a great deal of protein in their diets. So if they are being fed a vegetarian or vegan diet, finding a sufficient protein source is all the more crucial. Given the dietary needs of dogs, it stands to reason that a vegan dog food would require a plant-based protein source. I mentioned just a bit ago that the Beyond Burger in particular and the dog food had the shared ingredient of pea protein as well as salt. Well, even though these two products don't share a lot of ingredients in common, they do share the same protein source. But given that both Beyond Burger and the vegan dog food are designed to provide protein for those living vegan lifestyles, why should it be shocking at all that the protein source would be the same? And while the Impossible Burger has a different protein source than both the Beyond Burger and the vegan dog food, half of its ingredients are shared with the vegan dog food. What kinds of ingredients? Of course, salt, but also sunflower oil, zinc, several B vitamins, and vitamin E. Do any of those ingredients make you want to gag in disgust? Probably not. So, no, the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger can in fact be differentiated from dog food, even specialized vegan dog food that is meant to serve a different species on a similar diet. But even where there are similarities among the products, these similarities should not lead us to the conclusion that eating a meat substitute is the same as eating Fluffy's kibble. Because that's just not true. Here's the thing. In his tweets, Frank Mitlunner was trying to make the point that these meat substitutes are highly processed, so therefore not necessarily a healthy alternative to actual beef. And that's not a terrible argument per se, but to tweet out that these foods are the same as dog food lacks the needed context and is a bit misleading. And it's especially unhelpful when reaching out to a public that is already primed to distrust food producers. Now, whether you're vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, or omnivore, foods that are on your menu might be highly processed. Besides those particular meat substitutes, there are a number of vegan products that are highly processed. I mean, Oreos are vegan, but highly processed foodstuffs are a mainstay in most food categories, not just vegan food. Even mainstream meat production today involves a great deal of genetic engineering, hormone and antibiotic treatment, and the use of preservatives after slaughter. And if we eat meat, we're likely eating the results of those processes too. So we can't really say that most meat available at your local grocery store is free from processing either. If you're concerned about highly processed foods, whether it's due to health issues or humane treatment of animals or about sustainability of food sources and climate change, there's a lot to look out for because much of the standard American diet and even many of the variations include highly processed foods. I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but I will say this. I'm not out here saying that corporations haven't, on some level, earned the distrust they have among the public. Problems have arisen with foods prepared and served or sold to the public that have led to illness and even death. There was the E. coli outbreak at locations of Jack in a Box, a fast food chain in 1993, 
that led to 100 people falling ill and three dying of food poisoning in a hepatitis A outbreak at a Chi-Chi's location in Pennsylvania in 2003 that led to 555 people falling ill and at least four reported deaths. The Chi-Chi's outbreak was a major factor in the national company's closure of all remaining locations the next year. And there have been more recent outbreaks of foodborne contamination in the 2010s at Tropical Smoothie Cafe, Chipotle, and other restaurants, as well as the contamination of whole foods sold at grocery stores such as cantaloupes, spinach, and romaine lettuce. So while it's unlikely you'll be caught up in a major food contamination outbreak, and even less likely you'll die from it, getting sick from foodborne illness is a real possibility. And since most of us today are very much separated from the processing of the food we eat, those concerns do make some sense. Should we be able to know exactly what we're eating? Of course. But whether we're eating fast foods or whole foods, it's important to do our own research and be willing to ask questions. Thank you very much for listening to this bonus episode of Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed it, check out the other episodes and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or your favorite podcast player. And if you really like the show, please give it five stars on your podcatcher of choice and leave a review. That's just so others are more likely to pick it up, check out the show if they haven't heard of us yet. So I'd really appreciate it. Tell your friends and family as well. Go to potstarpodcast.com for new episodes, merch, and more. And as you well know, tweeting is my thing. So follow me on Twitter at potstarpodcast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.